Welcome to What Compassion Accomplishes, a podcast dedicated to sharing information, ideas, and resources about domestic abuse and sexual assault. The topics discussed in this podcast, including survivor stories, supportive services, and domestic abuse or sexual violence, can be difficult, and we urge you to listen with care. Our hosts are not licensed counselors or mental health professionals. If you or someone you care about have experienced domestic, dating, or sexual violence, please call the WCA's 24-hour hotline at 208-343-7025 or the National Domestic Violence Hotline 1-800-799-7233. You can also find more resources in the description of this podcast. Hi, and welcome to another episode of What Compassion Accomplishes. I'm Corey Michaels, along with Chris Davis. Hi, Chris. Hi, Corey. It's great to be here. It is. Well, we are, uh, you know, firmly into fall now and heading towards winter. The weather's changing. Yeah, I'm here in my puffy coat, my boots and tights. (laughs) Well, fall is always so great. It's beautiful. The leaves change color, and then you'll have the bright sunshine. It's we we firmly we get four full seasons in Idaho, and they can you might get them in the same day sometimes. (laughs) At times, yes, we have. (laughs) All right. Well, now, who are we going to be talking to today? We have our fabulous clinical services manager, uh, Megan, in the house today. And Megan is a really uh, fantastic person to talk to. She's got a lot of really wonderful experience. Um, She's also just a really bright, sunny person um, to be around. And so I'm really excited to have her here and hear her perspective and hear some um, of the amazing things that she has to share with us, not only from her personal experience, but also just her kind of thought anecdotally about um, how to interact with folks and some of her thoughts and, and her um, feelings about some of the uh, the things that we talk about a lot on what compassion accomplishes. You know, we can go on in tangents and we just we just have a good time talking. So I think she's going to have a lot to share with us. I think we're going to have a good time. Well, welcome. Thank you. And I, I have to say, uh, she is a brave soul, too, because uh, it looks like, based on the helmet, that you rode your bicycle over to the studio. I sure did. And it is windy as all get out out there. I can hear the leaves <laughs> blowing around outside as you're looking at her bike helmet. Megan rides her bike to work almost every day, though. She is a diehard. Yeah. It's one of the ways that I take care of myself in this work. Um the biking like it's like a physical way to leave work at the end of the day and kind of bike it away as I head home. I was going to say it has to because I, I, I know when I'm on my bike or, you know, my motorcycle mm-hmm. either way, uh, I always call it my wind therapy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. sometimes after especially stressful day, uh, emotional day and all those things are things that we, uh, you know, deal with yeah. to be able to just kind of release. Totally. Exactly. Yeah. I love it. Now, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, what got you started with the WCA, who you are, what brought you here? Sure. Happy to. Um, So my name's Megan and I'm the clinical services manager. I've been with the WCA just over a year now. And just about a year ago, I moved back to Boise. So I grew up here, um, went to high school here and then moved away for college and have lived all over the country since then. Uh, Most recently, I was in Sacramento, California, doing very similar work at a DVSA agency there. And, you know, with COVID and 
life changes. I have a three-year-old toddler, and um, she's the best. Uh, and I'm not biased, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, but we were just really missing Idaho, and um, it was less easy to get here with COVID safely. And so we came back and visited. And while we were here last summer, I was like, well, I wonder if the WCA is hiring. And they were, and here I and am. And here you are. I know. I'm so grateful. And I used to, I volunteered at the WCA in my very – I went to St. Joe's Elementary School – um, right down the road. Uh-huh. And one, I don't even know what we did, but I remember it was a YWCA at the time. And I remember being down, um, I think we were in the thrift store is my guess from like my piece together memories. Um, but so I've always associated it with great things and I love being back and being a part of it. Yeah. What is it that, that you do? I mean, you know, you got this fancy title. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm a very fancy lady. <laughs> Um, Sure. So I get to work with our case managers and our counselors. So I manage the clinical team, which is we have three case managers and one case management intern. And then we have a team of six clinicians um, and two clinical interns. And so I get to support them all in their work. So we offer the free counseling and free case management, both to our shelter clients and community clients. Um, And so I get to support the team that supports the clients. It's, I'm sure, very rewarding. Yes, I I love it. I love getting to see the, the growth amongst the clients and amongst the counselors and the case managers. We've got a fantastic team of humans who just really care about each other and about the humans that we work with. And so it's really cool to see their growth as individuals and the ways that they take care of themselves and each other doing the work. You're not in the studio, but you can't, I can't, I can't, I want to describe this big, huge smile <laughs> on her face as she's talking and talking I about do. getting yeah. to I love getting to support the case managers and the clinicians. Um, it's, it's pretty awesome. I just want everybody yeah. on the other hand to imagine this big, huge <laughs> smile and a perky person. Um, and I mean, that is just a really exciting and the energy is contagious. So just imagine that. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, with, with what you do and, and what, everyone does there at the WCA. Um, yes. I mean, having, having the knowledge, having all of that, but really at their core, that compassion, that caring that you referred to, uh, that is kind of first and foremost, really being passionate uh, about wanting to help and being there and being these advocates for these individuals that have been through so much. Totally. so what is the, what's the difference? I mean, obviously it's a, it's a different person that can be able to do that. When we were, you know, just a few moments ago, we were talking about for you, it was bicycling is a, is a good, you know, therapeutic mm-hmm. activity. What is it that you look for in an individual when it comes time to being at the WCA and working for um, the WCA and with these clients? That's a great question. Um, you know, I think something that I think we'll talk a little bit about today, but a lot of times uh, as individuals who come into this work, right, we have some sort of lived experience of our own, whether that's loving and supporting somebody who's been through an experience of intimate partner violence or sexual violence, whether that's our own lived experiences. Um, but oftentimes people who come into the work have their own their own experiences in their past or love people who've had experiences or know people who've had experiences. And um, we know how all consuming 
these traumas can be. And so being able to be a part of somebody's healing journey in that intimate way we get to as a clinician or as a case manager um, is just, it really does take somebody who both is incredibly empathetic and kind and really sees the strengths in people, um, but also has the awareness for themselves of what they need to be doing to be taking care of themselves and kind of engaging in that self-care. We talk a lot in the field about vicarious trauma and the ways that being present to other people's traumas can have an effect on our own, um, Mm -hmm. you know, managing of, of, symptoms, even if we haven't lived through anything personally, right, that we can still be really affected by other people's stories. And so really making sure that we're taking care of ourselves. But then I think that's where my role gets to come in as I get to provide that support. So we talk a lot about training, uh, making sure that people feel confident as they do the work, um, you know, providing uh, a supportive environment. So I get to meet each week with each of my staff for a full hour individually. And then we have at least one, sometimes two or three team meetings where we meet and support each other um, in that space too. And so really making sure that we're able to be checking in with ourselves um, and checking in with the way that things. So like, for example, I know if I'm not sleeping well, that I need to kind of pull back and do something more for myself Um, So we all just kind of can check in with each other around that. Um, But then also just people who are willing to be honest about that, right? Willing to say things aren't going great. I need to take a sick day or I need to, you know, um, take a vacation or um, I need to work more self-care into my day. I need to make sure I'm refilling my water glass. I need to make sure that I'm like, you know, stretching in between meetings. Well, when when someone has has gone through this traumatic experience. Uh, For a lot, it's probably been a long road getting to where they get that strength enough to be able to make the call, to come down to the WCA, however it is that they finally reach out and say, I need help. This is not okay. It takes this entire team, and we have this great team there at the WCA, but that team is also friends and family, the the people who love this individual. They don't have the training. They don't have the person that is telling them, mm-hmm. you know, how, how to be able to, I don't want to say compartmentalize, but be able to help this individual that they love and care about without you know, completely draining themselves and coming at it from just this emotional, you know, standpoint, because obviously friends, family, you, you have a different mental, you know, mm-hmm. a different headspace when you're talking about someone that you love when it, they may never have even realized, or, or if they did a little bit to the depths of what this person had gone through. What advice do you give to them that doesn't have the weekly, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, meetings to go, hey, take care of yourself? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. And it's something that we see a lot, right? We, get, we hear a lot from support people. Um, and I think it's such an important question. And I so appreciate when support people are willing to ask it, right? And willing to say, how can I support someone? Um, I think my first answer is to love them through it, right? To recognize that no matter what somebody is going through, um, they are still the person that you loved before that. And even when sometimes it might feel a little bit harder to show up for them, that the most important thing you can do is to show up for them. Um, You know, we hear a lot of family members 
uh, talking about ultimatums or um, kind of some of those more intense ways of showing up for someone. And um, those can work, but it's oftentimes actually a way that we push people away, right? Um, mm-hmm. So really just making sure that you're approaching it non-judgmentally. Um, we see a different perspective than the individual. So say it's somebody who's in a, an unhealthy relationship, right? Um, the person who loves them has a much different perspective than they have of their own relationship. Um, right. And so you do bring a valuable perspective, but sometimes the person's not ready to see it yet. Obviously, you know, we have concern for their safety and their well-being and and it's so, so hard to see somebody that you love in that kind of relationship. Um, and so, you know, obviously there are sometimes needs to be a more extreme response, but really the, the response that we see that works best is just being there for them, showing up for them, listening to them, mm-hmm. right? And I think when we do those ultimatums, we can push the person further into the relationship because they no longer feel safe with us. And so, right. you know, if you tell somebody, I can't keep listening to you, if you keep talking about him or if you keep going back to him or, or her, um, that can make them feel like they can no longer come to you. And such a big thing we see in intimate partner relationships is isolation, right? Where the the um, perpetrating partner uh, kind of pulls the individual away from all of their support people. And so if you say something that makes them not feel safe or feel judged around you, then that's that can just be further isolating them within the relationship. Isn't there a way, and I've heard this before, but I want you to speak to it. And aren't there ways to perhaps say, you know what, I love you and I care about you, but it hurts me mm-hmm. to see you hurt, so I need to step back? Sure. No, I'm here when you need me. If someone, maybe it's a mom or a sister or a best friend or something who just feels like I, you know, if it's me, say, and I'm looking at Corey here and like, I really care about Corey, but I am having a really hard time seeing Corey be hurt by the person he's in. No, and Mm. I've met Corey's wife and she's really nice. But but say there's, Corey's in this hypothetical relationship, right? And and it's, it's, and I'm having a really hard time as a friend and, and, and like, I just need to, for my own mental health, right? step back sure. but can you address that like for me and my own mental health are there there are ways that I can express support and love but also protect myself sure right? absolutely yeah and I think that part of what we talk a lot about in the clinical world is like how are we modeling for our clients and mm-hmm. I think that that can be true for friends and family too is um, holding healthy boundaries is a really important thing in life um <coughs> Right, being able to uh, recognize when something isn't uh, a safe space for you. And so being able to say, you know, I'm not in a space where I can be present to you or where I can really hold you right now um, in the way that you might need support. And so I'm going to take some time or, or kind of holding those boundaries, modeling healthy relationships, modeling it's not okay that he treats you like that or that they treat you like that. Um, and Yes. So absolutely. I think it's that dichotomy of how do we take care of ourselves versus also how do we show up for the individual? Um, But if we're not holding any boundaries, then we're just reinforcing that way that um, they've been taught the boundaries can't be safe. And I think 
we as clinicians, we hold healthy boundaries, both for ourselves, but also for our clients, right? There's a reason I'm not going to give out my cell phone number to a client. And it's not because I don't want to be there for them. It's because I also know that I have to take care of myself. And if I'm getting calls in the middle of the night, that that doesn't work given my work and, you know, life boundary. Um, so yeah, we definitely have to, we have to take care of ourselves in the work. And as you know, on the clinical side, I talk a lot about sustainability in the work, right? Like Mm -hmm. I want to be a social worker when I am old and gray and I want to be still loving it. Right. I want to have that smile on my face when I talk about the work I'm doing forever. And I've been in fields before where I've recognized that it's not working for me. And it's, you know, it's, it's that like healthy selfishness of being able to say this is not where I want to be, or this is not where I can be while also still being the person that I am in my core. Um, And, you know, there are so many ways that we affect the world and make it more beautiful. And for me, part of that is being a parent, right? And so if I want to show up at the end of the day with my kid and be able to be joyful and loving and still believe in the good of humanity, I have to hold my own healthy boundaries in doing that. Believe in the good of humanity. I like that. But yeah, so saying that, that it's okay to have some boundaries Mm -hmm. with somebody and and you're still caring about them and you still want them to be happy and healthy and whole. And it Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you care about them any less to lay down some boundaries and say, you know, I can't be there for you. I can't show up for you. Um, It doesn't mean I love you any less. Um, I am here if you when when you need me, I'll be here for you. But I'm just going to go over here for a little bit because I've got to take care of myself. And um, that's a great time to give them our hotline number, right? Uh, like, yeah, or and then offer those resources, resources and then say, you know, I am over here, mm-hmm. and and you're doing it in a way that's not attacking the person they're in the relationship with, not putting them down, mm-hmm. not going there, but saying, me for me, I've got to, I've just got to take a time out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go over here and take care of myself, care about you, mm-hmm. right? But you're establishing that boundary, mm-hmm. and so that's a way too that I don't think people really think about. Mm-hmm. And I again in the job and the work I do is outreach and communications. I do a lot of outreach out in the community. We hear this from a lot of people like they just won't listen Mm -hmm. I keep telling them and telling them I love them and they don't see it what do I do Mm -hmm. well you may just have to take a step back until they're ready Mm -hmm. it has to be their choice Mm -hmm. you can't force them Mm -hmm. and the more you try to force them the more you're pushing them away so you're offering resources you're telling them you care about them and sometimes that's all you can do Mm -hmm. and sometimes the best thing you can do is say I'm here when you need something and you keep offering resources but if it's harming you and frustrating you and harming, you know, you might just have to take a step back and leave it at that. Like, I am here when you need me. I'm going to go over here in my corner, maybe plant some flowers, work in the yard, check in every so often and say, I'm here when you need me. Mm-hmm. I'm here, you know, when and if you need me and I love you. Well, and I think the thing that we often forget when we talk about it, right, is how much emotion is involved in the actuality of the relationship, right? Like if you love somebody and you see them in such pain and you're worried about their safety and well-being, um, it's not easy to hold those boundaries. It's not easy to listen to them and not want to just shake them into, (laughs) right, awareness or think, you know, if I tell them every single thing this person has done wrong, maybe they'll, but they know, right? And we talk in, in the clinical world a lot about motivational interviewing, it's this idea that you really have to help them come to the decision, right? The client is the expert in their own life. And I 
for example, right, if somebody's thinking about stopping smoking, right, like they know that it's not like they don't know the they health know it can cause benefits, cancer, right, <laughs> uh, or the health mm-hmm. costs and, mm-hmm. and concerns, right. And so if I just tell them, all that's going to do is be annoying, right, and make them not feel safe to talk with me about why it's hard for them, because they're going to feel judged. And so if we can come at it in a way where we can support the person and help them kind of think through, you know, what what is stopping me from leaving this unhealthy relationship? Um, if they recognize it's unhealthy and if they don't, then helping them, you know, helping them see it in a way that's supportive and caring that validates that they're not alone in their experiences while also telling them, you know, that's not normal, right? Not every relationship um, looks like him or her threatening you at the end of the day. Not every relationship um, involves physical harm. And there are resources to help you when you're ready to talk more about it. Mm-hmm. Because even even for me, right, I'm a counselor. I, I've known many people in domestic violence relationships. I am trained to be there with them. And when I love them or care about them and I'm sitting there with them, it's a very different feeling, right, than mm-hmm. when I'm in a clinical room um, and have that hat on because I, I'm I'm emotionally invested. And so I have to be able to take the step back. And a lot of times that looks like helping them get their own help externally too. Right. Right. Where there's going to be no judgment, because I think when that comes into play and you think you're going to be judged or I should have known better. And these people who love me are going to expect that I will have known better or all of those things that come into play, the shame, the, you know, the judgment. And those things are huge for someone who's in that situation. And a lot of times those are some of the first things that come out of the mouth of us. If it's a parent, a sibling, you know, somebody who thinks they're, their children or their, their brother, their sister, whatever, you know, they could have been so much or they can be so much. And then these things come into play. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's such a good point, right? Because it's so important that they have people that love them that they can go to. Right. And so if we're saying things out of love and care, but it's coming out to the person as, well, this isn't a safe person because right, there's still love in the relationship. And that's where I think it gets really confusing is, Mm. you know, there was a reason your daughters were with those people and we can't always see it because we see the concerning aspects or the aspects that we Mm -hmm. don't love, um, but they have to get to a place where they're ready to see that. And um, yeah, it's, it's tough. We've said this over and over again. It really does come down to, and this is, you know, it is frustrating as, you know, Chris, you were saying in outreach when you're talking to people who are just going, they just won't listen. I love them and I'm seeing this going on. And why don't they, why don't they get it? That's a, that's a very tough thing to, to be able to, to do is watching that person. But you know, I think the biggest thing to take out of all of this is you have to take care of you and be ready to be there for them when they're ready. Well, and I think you can say, you know, that's not an okay way to treat somebody, right? Or it's important that we're able, because it also feels really icky to not say anything, right? Right. Um, and so even if they know, it's really important, right? The Many clients come to counseling when they're still in the relationship, and it's really important that they hear in that, in that responses that we give that it's not okay, but not in a way that's demonizing the other person or that's making them feel stupid for staying in a way that's helpful and supportive and uh, yeah. kind of welcomes the conversation to continue 
so that we can continue to bring light to what's problematic within the relationship and also that they deserve health and safety. And, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I care about you and I want you to be treated with respect. Yeah. Um, I would like to you, you know, here's how, here are some things that I, how I would like you to be treated. Mm-hmm. You know, and here's some ways I like to be treated and I would like the same for you, mm-hmm. you know, in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think those are some things, if you, if you were concerned about somebody, those are ways you can identify things and, and show your support mm-hmm. without, as you said, demonizing or right. pointing out or making, you know, pointing out um, the faults in that other person they're in a relationship with, if they still are, um, and and making it such that you're pushing them toward that other person and away yeah. from that support you're trying to offer. And really, just I mean, a lot of what I say is I believe you, right? The those simple statements of that's not okay. I'm really sorry that happened to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I try not to ask a ton of questions because I think that can feel judgmental. And when we talk about you know. Uh, it's exhausting counseling. Too for that person. Yeah, yeah. And in the counseling room, we, we talk a lot about like kind of why are you asking, right? Where is this coming from? And we know that the clients who come to us have oftentimes work um, within many broken systems, right? We know there are a lot of broken systems that surround survivors and where they f- they, they already come in with a lot of judgment on their shoulders. Um, even society can, right, kind of put forth some blame on the victim, um, through casual conversations and whatnot, where it's not intentional, but the, a lot of times clients come in and they already feel, they feel like it was their fault. They feel shameful, Mm -hmm. they feel embarrassed. And so we're already working against that, even when we haven't even said anything. Right. And so really thinking through, you know, how can we be a person they can build trust with? How can we be a person where they don't feel judged? And sometimes even a simple question of, you know, well, why didn't you leave that night? If we're, we're kind of gathering information, but even that can be read as what's wrong with you. Right. Why? Yeah. And so really just being really thoughtful about um, kind of why are we asking the questions we're asking? Where are we trying to go with this question? Do I need to know, right? Does it, is it, is this my curiosity coming into play or is this really going to be beneficial for me as a support person to this individual? No, it's, do you, do you need something right now? Do you need a ride somewhere? Are you okay? One question I ask a lot is, you know, what can I do to support you right now? Um, In this moment, what can I do to support you? Do you want me to help you find resources? Do you want me to take you to a counseling appointment, right? You can really, um, accompany them through, but the benefit of asking what they want or what feels right to them and giving options is super helpful because it's not telling them the right thing to do. It's giving them choice and agency within it while also making sure that they don't feel abandoned or, you know, left on their own accord. I know I sure do appreciate what you do mm-hmm. and everyone there at the WCA and the the resources and the care and just the the individuals that you are. And so uh, from from someone on the outside and, and from, you know, a, a parent and a, a member of, of society that just wants people to be better, you know, and to, to work towards that point in our world where we don't have to worry about this. We're nowhere close yet, unfortunately. But having these conversations, having these these moments of being able to put it out there 
so that people know there are people who care and you're not alone. Mm-hmm. And when you're ready, the resources are are available. Yeah, um, and if anybody's listening out there right now and you are supporting someone going through this or you've struggled with worrying about somebody, uh, we want you to know that you're not alone. You're not the only one who's struggled with uh, the situation or the thoughts. And there's resources out there. You can call our hotline. You can reach out for some information because it's really, it's a difficult situation. Struggling with finding the right words or the right way to uh, support someone mm-hmm. in this situation, it's, it can be really difficult. It can be really draining. And so we, want, we do want you to know you're also not alone mm-hmm. um, in this. We're, we're in this together. So there's help and resources out there. So reach out. Um, for yourself, if you're concerned about someone, um, reach out. We just want y'all to know you're you're not alone. Well, thank you for being on with us. My pleasure. Uh, be safe riding the bicycle back. Well, you home. see my helmet because I am a safe cyclist. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And we hope that everybody around you is safe as well okay. because you know we are. In, it's a windy city, but <laughs> we have lots of recreationists if we're headed into the winter time. And huh. you know, Megan, keep keep us in your eye uh, in your thoughts. And if there's something else you want to chat with about uh, what compassion accomplishes, we'd love to have you back. Awesome. Thank you. Thank Thank you you so much. And now on our next episode, we're actually going to have someone back from one of the early episodes. Yes. Maya is coming back to talk about um, the impact of domestic violence on uh, communities of color. And Maya is one of our client advocates working in our shelter and uh, with directly with our clients doing direct client work. And I'm very excited uh, to have Maya back with us. All right. And love it when our program staff comes and talks with us because that's a very unique perspective and uh, offer a lot of insight. So very, very excited. Tune in. Thank you, Megan. Uh, Share this, like it, listen to our other episodes. We've had a lot of great guests on what Compassion Accomplishes and uh, the always amazing Corey. Thank you very much. Always my honor. And so we will talk on the next episode of What Compassion Accomplishes. Thank you for listening to this episode of What Compassion Accomplishes. Again, if you or someone you know has experienced domestic abuse, dating, or sexual violence, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 or the WCA's 24-hour hotline, 208-343-7025.